September, so it was way too cold to get started on it. Just threw a tarp over it and waited for next spring. Well, when spring happened, we opened up the back gate. I pulled it in. I drug it right next to the boys' trampoline, and we were having barbecues. They were jumping on the trampoline. I'm working on a pop-up camper trailer in the backyard. We were a redneck hillbilly dream. I just got to be straight up with you. It was it was pretty ugly back there, but I was loving life, man. I'm working on pieces of it, and, and as much as I had, I could afford this piece or that piece, and just day by day, we were putting this thing together. I remember one day I was halfway done with the door, which had gotten ripped off. I'd fixed the handle part of it and, and had set it back on its hinges. And, and I was working on the sink, which is on a big piano hinge. And I was on the inside there. My boys were jumping on the trampoline. It was a beautiful spring day. And after a few minutes, they said, we're going in, dad. They jumped off and they went inside and I kept working. And after a while, I was like, okay, I need another tool. And I got up to get out of my pop-up camper trailer and that's when I realized I had only finished half of the door, and the half of the door that I finished was the handle on the outside. There was no handle on the inside. So I had no way to get out, and I kind of fiddled with it a little bit, and I couldn't get it to go, and I thought, this is frustrating. Somebody will come out and save me. So I went back, and I worked a little bit more where I could. 15, 20 minutes go by. Nobody comes out. I get a little bit more frustrated. I start cleaning up. 30 minutes go by. Nobody's come out to save me. And I'm like, seriously, nobody has even recognized that dad is locked in the pop-up camper trailer for the last 30 minutes. So I start calling out for help. Noah! Nathan! I was desperate. I was even calling neighborhood kids. Sydney! Then I called out a name I did not want to call out. Kathy! Because if my wife had to come out, it would be shame forever. But nobody. Man, I start getting mad. And have you ever got mad in a really small space? All you can do is like, get like this. You just turn around and get frustrated in a circle. After 45 minutes, the sun's starting to go down. The back door opens up, and I see my son come out. And I'm like, oh, somebody finally remembered me. Nope, he's taking out the trash. I said, no, no, come here, come here, come here. And he goes, what's wrong, Dad? And he's looking at me through the screen. He goes, hit the button. He goes, are you stuck? Hit the button, boy. And he hit the button, and he let me out. Now, why does that story have anything to do with today? The reality is that many of you are at the cusp of making huge changes in your life. You have the opportunity to get a hold of a different way of thinking. But some of you aren't going to do it because of the same reason I stayed stuck in a pop-up camper trailer. Now, if you know what a pop-up camper trailer is, you know I could have got out pretty easy, right? I could have taken a pocket knife out, cut the canvas, hit the button by myself, been out in 30 seconds. Or if I wanted to, I could have leaned real hard on the door, pushed it right off its hinges, and just been gone. I mean, it's a pop-up camper trailer. If I stomped real hard, I can make a hole and get out through the bottom. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, that's the way that works. Now, why didn't I do any of that? Well, if I cut that canvas, canvas is expensive. I don't want to pay for that. And if I push the door, I already bought those parts. I'll make Kathy mad if I have to buy them again. And if I stomp a hole through the floor, that's going to make a mess. And so I stayed stuck in a stupid prison because I was afraid that the change would cost too much. It'd make somebody mad or it'd make a mess. <laughs> I got a secret for you. Everybody, are you ready for this? If you're going to do anything worthwhile, you're going to tick somebody off. If you're going to do anything worthwhile, it's going to cost you something. And the best things you've ever done started with a huge old mess. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to somebody next to you before we jump into this and say, it's time for you to make a mess. Go ahead and tell them real quick. Now turn to somebody else and say, you already ticked me off. Go ahead and tell them. That's right. And look at somebody else now and say, I'm broke. Everything costs me a lot. Go ahead and tell them. That's right. 
That's right. So with all that being said, folks, let me challenge you to make the most of your spiritual journey while you're here. Do well in class. Excel on the field. Do whatever you've been called to do, whatever you're made to do. Have the, grow the largest network of friends you could ever grow. But don't miss the opportunity for you to make the most of your spiritual life. So here's what, uh, here's what we want to do. Could you click on that screen for me? I think we're not on it. There we go. We'll start there. The first thing I want you to do, we're going to read a, a, a short passage uh, about one of the miracles of Jesus. And I've got some words for us to look at. And the first one is realize. On the count of three, I want everybody to say realize. Ready? One, two, three. Realize. realize. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving, that he is Jesus. By the way, here at Sterling, if you're ever studying the Bible, they said, do you know who he is? If you're asleep, just wake up and say Jesus. You're going to be right 90% of the time. Same in Sunday school. That works for you. And they came to Jericho, and he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Everybody say great crowd. It's going to be really important in just a second. A great crowd with them, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. That name's hard to say, so we're just going to say Bart for the rest of the day. Bart, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So... Let's talk about realize. We have to understand what the scenario is. We've got a busy highway byway that's coming out of a major city. Jesus with a great crowd. One more time, everybody say great crowd. With a great crowd, they're coming out of the city, and there's blind beggars there. Now, the reason that they're on the side of the road is this was the welfare system of the day. There was no governmental program. There was no church agency that was taking care of them. If you wanted to survive and you didn't have the means to go work, you sat by the side of the road and you begged. And what did you beg for? If somebody was finishing their meal and they had a crust of bread, it wasn't, it wasn't disrespectful for them to drop that bread in front of them. What they would do is they'd sit there all day long with their cloak out, and they would say, alms for the poor, mercy, alms for the the poor. And if you had some change, you drop it. If you had the crust of bread, you drop it. And that was considered an act of kindness and mercy. And so they were there at the busiest intersection and they were trying to get whatever scraps from society that they could get. And Bart here has this moment because Bart is there, because Bart is begging, because Bart understands who he is. He has realized where he is in life. And here's the most important thing for you. If you really want to get a, a, the benefit out of your spiritual life, if you really want to grow here, then you have to realize there are some things that are true about every human being on the planet. And it's this, that we are all, every single one of us, blind beggars on the side of the road in need of help. There is nobody here. I don't care if you came from this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. Your family has this much or that much. Or you were raised this way or you were raised that way. Everybody. Everybody say everybody. Everybody, everybody broke. Everybody's messed up. Everybody is in need. We're all in this spot. You have to realize this. My son, who is now a uh, sophomore at uh, Hutch Juco this year, he may be coming here or somewhere next year, but we're talking about here. Anyway, uh, as uh, he was a young man, he was sitting on the couch and uh, playing video games one Saturday morning. I got up. It was Saturday, man. I'm working. I go out. I mow the yard. I come back in. He's still playing video games. I go out to run errands. He's still playing video games. I come back. He's three or four times. I come in and out. And finally, I decided I was frustrated with him. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He just wasn't doing anything right. And so I stopped in the living room. I said, hit pause. And he hit pause. I said, I just want you to think about this phrase. You're going to feel a whole lot better about your life if you get up and do something. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't feel bad about my life right now. I was like, boy, that needs a, you need a pop knot on your head is what you need right there. But he, that's where he was. He was watching me go in and out and work. He was watching his mom do stuff. His brother was doing homework, but he was just happy being right there. He had not realized. Everybody say realize. realize. 
He did not realize there was potential. He did not realize there was opportunity. And I'm here to tell you, like Bart on the side of the road, he had owned who he was. He was doing the best with what he had, but he knew he was in that spot. Don't get caught with false security. Just because you got a scholarship, just because you're in school, just because they say if you get an education, everything. Listen, there are wealthy, well-funded, well-employed people all over the country whose marriages are falling apart, whose lives are chaos, and who never find happiness. It's not about those things. Those things are tools in the hands of well-developed spiritual people. Don't miss out. You have to realize this is what's important. On the count of three, everybody say realize. One, two, three. Okay, let me see if I can make this work. The second thing that I want you to see here comes from the next verse, and I say, call out. On the count of three, everybody say, call out. One, two, three. I'm going to get awkward here for a second. Is that okay? Especially you guys up front. I don't mean to be weird about this at all, but I'm going to be yelling here in just a second. It's all part, you look like you're awkward already. Here it comes. (laughs) Chapter 10, verse 47. Here's what it says. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is an amazing moment. I'm going to make it awkward because I want you to know exactly what happened. There's a great crowd. Like, nobody likes to make a scene in a great crowd, right? Like, you ever dropped a tray in the lunchroom? Did you come from one of those cultures where if you drop a tray, the whole room's like, hey! We hate those people, don't we? Nobody wants to make that big scene in that moment. So there's a great crowd. Everybody say, great crowd. He's already considered the bottom of the social food chain. He's a blind beggar on the side of the road. But he hears as they're going by. Can't you imagine this moment? He's like, man, there's a lot of people today. And one of the other beggars says, yeah, don't you know what's going on? No, what's going on? It's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, that guy? Yeah, yeah, you know, the healer? You mean the one that can do anything? Yeah. And so instead of them just going, oh, I sure hope he comes by. Or, oh, I sure hope something good happens today. That's not what he does. In the middle of that crowd, he can't see anything. He didn't know where Jesus is. He goes, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Doesn't seem awkward enough. I'm getting closer. Here we go. (laughs) Jesus, son of David. Now you're the one that's really struggling. I'm going to get right here. Here we go. I'm right up all in you. Here we go. Jesus, you're going to be okay. We'll be over in a minute. (laughs) Son of David, have mercy on me. You're struggling too. Let's do this one more time. Here we go. (laughs) Jesus! That had to be a moment, didn't it? I mean, because there's a crowd. People are like, somebody is losing it over there. Because the word cry out, where it says that he began to cry. Everybody say cry out. It means to shout at full volume. The Greek means that he lost it. Somebody said, that's Jesus. You said, Jesus! Man, I got to tell you, unashamedly, unabashedly, just to say, this is worth it. That's what this moment is. That's what I'm challenging you to. Yeah, what, what, what if your family says, you're not getting hyper-spiritual, are you? No, I'm trying to get spiritual in my life. What if your friends say, oh, come on, don't play that game? No, I'm, I'm playing the long game for the entirety of my life. I'm going to call out. I'm going to make a decision Everybody say decision. Decision. Let me tell you why that word's important. The word decide is actually not an English word. It's a Latin word that we just adopted in the English language. And we use it wrong. 
Like if you go to the lunchroom here, I've eaten here. It's good food. You're going to enjoy this stuff. If you eat here, you get to pick and choose. You get to decide. But the problem is, if you didn't like what you wanted, then you could go back and pick something else. And that's not really what decide means. The word decide in Latin, let me translate it in English. To kill. Pesticide, homicide, suicide, emphaticide, genocide. Those are all different forms of killing. To decide is the root. It is to kill. To make a decision, a real decision, is not to make a choice with options. It is to choose and kill off all your other options. That is to make a decision and say, no turning back, no turning back, I will follow him. It is to say, I've made a decision and I've burned the ships. I've crossed the bridge and we've blown it up. I've gone this way. And for some of you, it won't be all of you. You want to know why? Because the Bible says that narrow is the way and few are they that find it. I mean, I would love the fact that if I honestly believe I could come in here and we could talk and God does something amazing and, and everybody just goes down this road. I, I, I just don't think that's the way things work. I've come here today and I've given up this morning because I believe that there are some of you some of you who are going to make a decision this year that's going to change the trajectory of your life. And it's not going to be a smorgasbord. It's going to be, I've made a decision. I am not turning back. This is who I am. To decide. One more time. On the count of three, everybody say decide. One, two, three. Decide. Let me tell you how important this is. Any, do we have any hunters in the room? I mean, we're in Kansas. We should have some of you locals. we got some hunters, right? Maybe some out of the area too. I'm not much of a hunter, but I enjoy hanging out with hunters because those are some crazy people. I mean, they get up way too early. They spend way too much money and they way too much enjoy killing stuff. That's, what, that's just who they are. And the guys that really kill me are the deer stand hunters, the guys who crawl up in a tree and wait for a deer to come by. Is that you? You do that? Yeah. I mean, that's nuts, man. You go out and you set up the feeder and you bait them out and you look for sign and then you go up in the middle of the night and hang out in a tree. Here's what happened. I'd be dead by dawn is what would happen because I'd fall asleep and fall out of the tree. That's what would happen. But they go up and they hang out in these trees and I want you to imagine. What's your name? Hunter. Your name is Hunter. That is a natural. You have just given me the greatest gift today. Thank you, Hunter. Hunter is out hunting. Isn't that great? I didn't even pay him. Hunter is hunting, and he's, he's got the perfect spot. It's been laid out. He's seen sign. He knows that today is the day. And he takes, are you a bow hunter or a gun hunter? Crossbow. Crossbow. Well, today you're a gun hunter. He takes a gun, <laughs> and, he, and he crawls up in his tree stand. And he's hanging out there, and the sun's coming up behind him, and the wind's perfect. It's, it, it, it's, not, a, it's not a backwind so that, so that nothing out there is going to see him. And the sun is kind of silhouetting him so that he's not going to be exposed to whatever happens. And, and just about that perfect time of the morning where the sun's starting to come up and it's so cool you can still see your breath, you hear the crunching of a quadruped off in the distance. And your heart starts to race. And there right next to the feeder, right where he should be, you see it. A 30-point buck. It's a good dream, isn't it? 30-point? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> a big old 30. I mean, just majestic stag comes walking. <laughs> And he looks, he goes, oh, I'm going to get this. And he levels off on it. But then he notices something amazing. This deer, it, it actually turns and starts heading towards him closer. He's like, fish in a barrel. And he does, it's not even coming closer. He's watching, it's following his own trail to the tree. It's going to come right under the tree. He's like, this is great. 
And as the deer is as close as it's ever going to get, Hunter takes his rifle and puts it to the side. And he leaps from the tree onto the back of this deer. (laughs) And with one hand, he grabs half that rack and yells, Yeah! And for a full eight seconds, he rides that thing before he voluntarily dismounts. The deer is in such disarray, it actually makes eye contact with him before he slaps it on the hindquarters and sends it off into the sunrise. You walk a mile back to your truck, drive to Daylight Donuts, and tell all the guys about the one that you rode that morning. And everybody down there says, that is the dumbest story I've ever heard in my entire life. Because he's a hunter and he went out to do one thing. What was he supposed to do? I know you didn't think you were gonna chant this this morning, but what was he supposed to do? You got it. The words are kill it. Let's try. I know you're not supposed to say this, but it's for the illustrative purpose. He was supposed to do what? Nice and loud. I'm going to keep doing it until we all do it together. He was supposed to do what? That was almost there. One more time. He was supposed to do what? Here's what I'm telling you. You've got to make some decisions. And your decisions can't be with one foot here and one foot there. A decision. It's like, I want to be married to you. Will you marry me? Yes. And I'm only going to date two or three other people a year. That's not a decision. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to do really good until it gets hard and then I'm not. That's not a decision. I'm going to follow God and I'm going to make his will important in my life until a better option comes along. That's not a decision. You have to make a decision and kill off the other options. You're adults now. It's time to make some decisions. It's time to decide who you're going to be and what you want to do with your life. And I'm here to encourage you that one of the biggest decisions that you can make, do you play football? play football, and give honor to the King of Kings. You can be an educator that be the best that there is and save lives in the classroom and give honor to the King of Kings. You're going to go into business or finance, make a fortune so that you can make lives better and do it all giving honor to the King of Kings. But you got to make some decisions. Next, remember he shouted, it gets worse. Ignore. On the count of three, everybody say ignore. One, two, three. Now, remember, he's shouting, and many rebuked him, because he's not supposed to be drawing attention to himself. He's the lowest part of society. Just sit over there and be quiet, and if somebody decides to be nice to you, then we'll be nice to you. If not, just shut up. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out, all the more. <laughs> Let me try you this time. <laughs> now, he's solid. He's like, you don't bother me. I'm not going to sit on your lap. I was going to do it, <laughs> All, they say, Shh, be quiet. He's like, Jesus, son of David. It's annoying, isn't it? I heard that echoing down the hall. That's pretty awesome. He goes crazy. He ignores them. He just says, no, I don't care what you say. If Jesus is in the crowd, you're not going to shut me up. I'm going that direction. And here's the truth. If you make a decision and you move in that direction, if you call out, then you're going to have to learn to ignore the haters. That was so 90s, wasn't it? You have to learn to ignore the haters because there will be people who come across you and say that was a dumb decision. You need to do something else. You need to think for yourself, blah, 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 blah. It's important that you learn what voices to listen to and what voices to ignore. And that's what part of this experience is going to be. My wife and I, again, married 24 years. When we first got married, way back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth, 
Uh, I had never even had a roommate. I went all the way through my collegiate experience uh, by myself and living in apartments by myself. And so when I got married and actually, you know, she and I started living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed, it was a difficult experience for me because I had never had, like I said, even a roommate. And we were working two completely different jobs. She was working in the mental health uh, uh, field and I was working as a disc jockey and also working on my graduate degree. And and uh, our schedules were vastly different. She would work normal hours during the day. Sometimes I'd work all night, and we would just see each other like two ships passing in the night. Sometimes I'd lay down in bed. She'd be getting up to go to work. Sometimes it would be the same thing around. And I remember one night, mid-February, it was so cold. I came in super late. She'd been in bed for several hours. And I laid down. We're newlyweds. And I didn't even get fully undressed. You, you know, you've ever been so tired, you just stay in your jeans and your sweatshirt and go to bed. Does that ever happen? And I, that was me, man. I just rolled in, and I just pulled the covers over me. And it was one of those nights where just your body immediately goes, oh, have you ever had that feeling where you're not quite asleep, but your body is saying, you've made a good choice. You all know what I'm talking about. That's that great moment, isn't it? And you can feel your muscles relax and you sink into the bed and you're kind of half in a dream state. You're surfing a big pickle across the ocean doing something stupid. You know what I mean? you're You're just not there. I was in that moment right before deep sleep and I heard my newlywed wife go, she actually said something, but I was so asleep, I didn't know what she said. And when, if you're, by the way, if you're laying next to somebody in the complete darkness and you hear Gollum next to you, that will wake you up immediately, right? And so there in the dark, I couldn't see anything, but I'm like, what? I said, baby, did you say something? She goes, Andy, there's somebody in the kitchen. And my heart sank. I mean, whoa. Somebody in the kitchen. Now, we lived in a really small house. When you leave the bedroom, you're in the kitchen. <laughs> so that's how she could be specific. It was whatever was outside the door. I mean, that's, that's where we were. And I'm like, what'd she say? Now, I knew what she said, but I wanted her to say it again because I wanted it to be different. So she goes, Andy, there is somebody in the kitchen. And my first thought was, well, you heard him. Go get him. But it didn't come out because I realized I'm the dude, right? I'm supposed to take care of this or whatever. And I'm like, okay, wh- what does he sound like? Dumb question, right? <laughs> I'm like, never mind, never mind. I'll take care of it. And, and I get up and I remember thinking, okay, okay, I don't have a gun. I, I can't take it after. And I, I don't have any knives. Dude, he's in the kitchen. He's got all the knives. What, what am I going to do? And I remember grabbing a lamp. And I didn't even have a cool lamp. It was a garage sale lamp, big glass thing. You know what I'm talking about? And so I take it and I unplug it and because I had that much foresight. And I'm standing there by the edge of the door getting ready to flip the door open and run out into the kitchen and save my bride with a glass lamp. That's what I'm going to do. And my heart is beating. I am sweating. I'm just, and my eyes are finally starting to adjust. And I look over and, and there's my wife. And I'm expecting to see her curled up on the edge of the bed, covers pulled up going, go, brave warrior, go, save me. But that's not what I saw. What I saw was my wife still laying there, completely calm. And I put pieces together. My newlywed wife talks in her sleep, <laughs> completely unconscious. I'm so mad. You ever got mad? You, you don't have a right to be mad. She didn't mean to do it, but I'm mad because I'm sweating and I'm dying and I'm holding the lamp at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I remember hitting the lights and turning them on just to protest. And she goes, What's going on? I go, you said there was somebody in the kitchen. She says, there's somebody in the kitchen? You said there was somebody in the kitchen. <laughs> we had our first full-on fight right there, man. That's what I learned. She talks in her sleep. I've had to learn that if my wife says anything while she is in bed, just ignore it. Because legitimately, she has laid there in the last 24 years. Here's what I've heard my wife do. She, one night, this is a true story. She laid next to me and went, 
What are you doing? That'll scare the crap out of you if I could be really honest with you. Sometimes it's just gibberish. You know, things like, on the count of nine, 47-2. What? Straight up, one night though, I heard her say this, I'm leaving you because you're broke. I woke her up. I want to know what she was dreaming about. Here's the reality. There are some voices worth ignoring. There are some voices you gotta listen to. There are some voices you should listen, you should yearn to hear the slightest whisper. And there are some voices you just gotta, you gotta learn to ignore. And that was Bart on the side of the road. Shut up, you blind beggar. He didn't wanna hear from you. Jesus! And you gotta keep calling out. What are our words so far? Repeat after me. Everybody say realize. realize. Everybody say call out. call out. Everybody say ignore. ignore. Here's my favorite part of this passage. It's the word sacrifice. On the count of three, everybody say sacrifice. One, two, three. Now let me show you what I'm talking about here. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man. Now this has got to be a moment of vindication. They're like, sit down and be quiet. Nobody wants to hear from you. And Jesus says, hey, wait. That guy calling my name? Call him. Now I want you to see how fickle the haters in your life are. And they said to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Does that make anybody else mad? That makes me mad just seeing that. They're like, oh no, it's good, it's all good. Yeah, he's our friend too, Jesus. So things change. And throwing off his cloak, everybody say, throwing off his cloak. I want you to say that real loud one more time. Say, throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and came to Jesus. He's a blind beggar, he ain't got nothing. And everything he has in the world is spread out in front of him. Everything that he's been given, every alm, every crust of bread, it was right there. But when Jesus said, come to me, he took his cloak and he threw it. Not only the stuff on it, but his cloak as well. Because he didn't want anything tripping him up as a blind man trying to find his way to Jesus. He gave it all up. He threw it. He sacrificed. One more time. Everybody say sacrifice. He sacrificed. What are you willing to sacrifice? Some of you would say some things, but C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone. That only when we really hurt do we understand what it is that's actually of value to us. When I was in college, I was like you. College is the Greek word for broke. <laughs> it's not, but uh, uh, got no money, right? And so you try and survive as you do. You love dollar menus. Who loves a dollar menu and that good stuff? Yes. Now, as a college student, I got up one morning and my tooth was hurting so bad. I mean, bad, 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 hurt. Like couldn't concentrate. Tried to put up with it a couple days. Took pain meds. Didn't help. Finally, I went to the dentist. He goes, oh, you have a bad abscess. I said, what's that? He goes, well, you got an infection, which means we need to do a root canal. Then we'll give you a crown. And I said, will the pain go away? And he goes, it'll be gone almost immediately. I'm like, down with that. I need that going on in my life. And he says, okay, then we'll get you scheduled. I said, wait, before I leave, um, I don't have insurance. How much does this cost? He goes, well, root canal is about 1200 and a crown. Depends on what kind we get. Can we go from $600 to $900? Probably end up being about $2,000. I'm like, $2,000? I've never even seen $2,000. I mean, I know it exists because I watch the news, but I've never held it in my hands. He's like, well, I'm sorry. That's just what it costs. He goes, we'll put you on a payment plan. I, I'm not going to have $2,000 to put on a payment plan. He goes, well, I don't know what to tell you. That's just what it costs. I go, what would it cost for you just to pull the tooth out of my head? He goes, that's barbaric. I go, yeah, but how much would it cost? He goes, I won't do it. I said, would somebody do it? He goes, yeah. He goes, how much would it cost? He goes, probably about 40 bucks. 
I've had a hole in my head since 1993. Because I'm cheap. <laughs> and for $45, by the way, for $45, they don't even give you a shot. They just pull it out of your head. That's painful. But for $45, they just pulled it right out of my head. That may sound ser- terrible to you, but it's going to get worse. My son, when he was little, Noah, who I told you is in college right now, he wanted a pet. And I said no, because when you're five, you are the family pet. That's the way that works. We're still cleaning up after you. We got to feed you. We got to let you out, all that kind of stuff. But he wanted a pet. Grandma, who has never listened to me in her life, comes over one day while she knows I'm gone and brings him a kitten that she found in a field. By the time I get there, they've already bonded, and I would be, you know, Thanos the destroyer if I came in and and took this kitten away. And I'm like, are you serious? She's like, I go, well, you're going to help take care of it? She goes, I named it. Well, that doesn't help take care of it. Found him in a Milo field. His name's Milo. Well, good for you. Oh, so mad. But he bonded with this cat, loved this cat, was holding this cat by the head, walking around. You know what I'm talking about? After we had him for four or five weeks, you know how fast kittens grow. This kitten was already starting to grow. I got up one morning, and Milo did not look good. He had that stuff coming out of his ears, that orange stuff. His nose was running, and he wasn't going, meow. He was going, ah, ah. And I'm like, ooh, you're the walking dead cat. That's what you are. And Noah came to me and says, Milo's sick. I go, yeah, don't touch it. I think he's got Ebola. I have no idea what that is. And he goes, can we fix him? I go, I'll call the vet. I called the vet. And I said, hey, I got this cat. He's a kitten. And he's, he's like, okay. Did you get him in the field? I went, yeah. How'd you know? He goes, because that's what happens to cats you get in fields. I'm like, oh, really? I go, can it be fixed? He goes, yeah, it's no problem. It's just an infection. He needs an antibiotic. We put him, I get him a shot, and then we'll give him a course of pills that you have to get down him. I'm like, okay, we can do that. Before I hung up, I said, hey, how much does all that cost? He said, well, the shot is this much and the pills are this much. By the time we're done, be roughly $700. <laughs> Thank you. Hung up the phone. No, I said, what did the, what did the doctor say? And I pulled him close. I said, he said, your kitty going to die. <laughs> Listen, I ain't going tooth out of my head. I got to spend $700 on a field cat. If you want another one, there's like 12 of them in the neighborhood. We'll just go get one. Bring it inside. I know I'm a horrible person. I don't care. I'm not spending $700 on a cat. Now, Grandma, whose fault this was, heard about this, and she did what you're not supposed to do, and she got on the Internet. She Google-fied him figured out what human antibiotic to give him and parsed it out. And I'll be honest with you, 15 years later, that cat is still with us today. I now call him Conan because what does not kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> He's still here, but not because I paid for it. I got paid $700 on a cat. They're, did you see on the news this week? They're now giving fur baby leave at work. Like if you adopt a pet, you get a week off work. Let me tell you something. You come work at Crosspoint, you don't get a week off work for a fur baby. I'm just going to tell you straight up. It's not going to happen. Why? That's stupid. Never mind. Some of you love your pets, and I understand that. I don't love them that much. I, there's a whole bunch of them. We'll just get some more. Now that I'm thoroughly the bad guy in your mind, in 2009, my oldest son, Noah, was 10 on the eve of his 11th birthday. He'd been very sick. He uh, 
had been diagnosed H1N1. He'd been diagnosed swine flu. He'd been diagnosed with all these different things, and they just couldn't fix it. And that night, he came running downstairs, and he was so, his head hurt so bad, and he was feeling so bad that he just got sick. And I took his temperature, and his temperature was skyrocketing. And I said, that's it. I'm taking him to the emergency room. No more doctors. We're going straight to the hospital. And Kathy stayed home with Nathan. I took him to the emergency room at Hutch, and um, they took his blood pressure. His blood pressure was 196 over 128. And if you don't know what that means, that's bad, bad, bad. You shouldn't be alive at 196 over 120. Only because he was young was he able to stand that. And they stat this and rushed that. And they shot him off to do some test. And of course, my heart sinks out of me. And they come back about five or six minutes later. And the doctor says, we don't know what's wrong with him, but he's dying. His kidneys have stopped. And we're going to send him to pediatric ICU in Wichita. And you need to follow him over. They put him in an ambulance and they took him. And that was the scariest night of my life, if I could be really honest with you. So I drove behind him. When we got there, they took him out and took him up to pediatric ICU. And I mean, this place is so posh. It's got everything. And, and there were a, a fleet of doctors they assigned to him because they didn't know what he had. And after the first 12 hours, they diagnosed him with something called glomerulonephritis. It's a rare 1% response to strep. And it's when your body beats strep. And strep, if you've ever had it, leaves your body through the kidneys. But your body gets confused. And it thinks because that's where it left that the kidneys are the enemy and your own body starts killing your own kidneys. And I said, what do we do? And they said, well, we have to keep him here. We have to give him fluids, but there's no cure. They actually looked at me and said, you're a pastor? Yeah, you should pray. Well, obviously he made it. I've told you stories. Spoiler alert. But the reason I'm telling you this is after five days when we walked out of there and the doctor said, it's amazing, he's, he's back. After those five days, I want you to know, in the five days that I was there, not one time did I ever stop a doctor and go, um, how much does that test cost? Not one time did I ever go, wait, wait, can we get a generic IV bag? I never did that. You want to know why? Because I'll rip a tooth out of my head and I'll let a thousand cats die, but I'll do whatever I got to do for my boy. I'll rob a bank. I'll spend the rest of my life incarcerated. If it's what it took to save him, I'll do it. But we're going to save him because I've made a decision as to what has value in my life. That's what Bart did. He made a decision. Everything I own in the world, it doesn't even compare with the opportunity to stand in front of him. Oh, what he might do for me. Sacrifice. On the count of three, everybody say sacrifice. One, two, three. Sacrifice. And one last one. I love this one. See, at the end of this, Jesus always asks hard questions. I don't know if you know this. God's into asking hard questions. When Adam and Eve sinned and ran away, God came down in the garden and God said, Adam, where art thou? Is that an odd question? He's God of the universe. Don't you think he knows where Adam is? I mean, God's not standing there in the garden going, I had a human. What did I do with him? When Jesus was on the mountainside, he looked at Philip and there were 25,000 people out there. He says, Philip. How are you going to feed all these people? Don't you know Philip's like, dude, Peter's right over there. Ask him. I have no idea. It says in that same passage that Jesus asked the question already knowing what he was going to do. See, Jesus asks questions not to get answers. He already has the answers. Jesus asks questions so that we will start processing the answers.
And that's what happens right here. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Seriously, blind guy walks up to a healer. What, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. I love that straight up answer, right? I'm not going to pull any punches. I just won't be able to see again. And something different happened here, watch. And Jesus said to him, go your way. He told him to go. Everybody say go. go. He said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You see, he didn't just get his sight. Jesus took a moment, called him out of the crowd when everybody else shamed him, pulled him close and said, I want everybody to see this. And he said, go your way. You got your sight. And he said, but I got more than my sight. I got you. And he didn't go his way. He became a follower of Christ. He literally started to pursue him and come after him. Now I'm a pastor and I'm one and a half minutes from having to be done, which I'm going to honor. But let me just say this. What I'm not calling you to do and inviting you to do is to become a cultural Christian that shows up at church and does your due diligence and if you can throw some money in the plate or you can serve it. To be honest with you, again, I'm a pastor, just stay home and enjoy football. We don't need any more of that. That's a joke. What we need are people who recognize, they realize after they called out and ignored the haters that, that they've been changed and they're willing to sacrifice and become something else. I played saxophone all the way through college. I, I love playing. I got a uh, saxophone scholarship for the Fort A. State Jazz Band. It was a great time. So I love the whole band thing. And my boys have been band nerds their whole time there. Uh, my senior now is uh, my youngest son. He's the captain of the drum line at uh, Hutch, uh, Hutch High and uh, playing lead tenor. And you didn't even know all that. I'm just a proud dad. I'll be a horrible grandpa. Don't come around me when I'm a grandpa. You'll see pictures until you throw up. It'll be awesome. Um, but I've, all, I've loved doing that, and I love watching them uh, march. And most people don't really enjoy marching bands. I love marching bands, man. It's my thing. And last year, I was going to watch them march at the Kansas State Fair. And if you don't know this, it's every day. If you came to march at the Kansas State Fair, that wasn't like the day. They do it every day. They have marching bands every day. They just bring them in. And the day that my son was marching, I was there watching all the bands come. There was this, this little band from way out in western Kansas, and they were all wearing jeans and the same T-shirts, and they are coming through. And I saw on my side that there was a line of saxophones. And I thought, oh, there's my people right there. That's good. And, and as they came and they marched right in front, I mean, we're close. I mean, they're marching like right there, you know, front row. And I, Jesus! I wasn't doing that, but they were right there. <laughs> and as they were marching right there in front of me, I noticed this cute little girl, you know, blonde hair, all curly. and She's got her saxophone. She's marching in time, doing everything. But because I'm a saxophone player, I can tell you something. She wasn't even trying to play. The horn was in her mouth, but she wasn't doing nothing. And if, you, if you've ever seen somebody with the ability to roll their eyes while walking in a straight line, she was doing, she's like, oh, I hate this. You could just see it. It was, it was attitude all over the place. And you just saw her. She, she was in step. She was in formation. She was where she was supposed to be, but she was not contributing to the song. I'm not asking you to be one of those. In step, in line, in formation, but not a part of it. You know what's more important? That we're playing the song. That we're in the game. And that God's doing something amazing in, with, and through you. I'm not the only pastor in town. Michael's not the only pastor in town. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of places. 
but we're opening our lives up to you. We want this to be the best experience you've ever had, not just for collegiate, not just for athletics, but for the thing that makes you who you are, the spirit that's within you. Find a home, grow, and make the most of every part of your spiritual life. God bless you. I love you. Let me pray for you as we get done here. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray wherever we are on this journey, maybe today's the day we realize. Maybe today's the day we call out. Maybe today's the day we ignore. Maybe today's the day we sacrifice. Maybe today is the day we actually start to follow. But wherever we are, I pray that we would acknowledge you love us so much you sent your son. And he is worth following in whatever direction you've got us going in life. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you guys very much. Have a wonderful year and please stay in touch.